Hey everyone, welcome to Inside Northumbria, a series of podcasts giving you a chance to hear how we do things the Northumbria way. Hello and welcome to Inside the Emergency Department podcast. This is James McFetrich, consultant in emergency medicine, and this is the podcast for anyone who works in and with us at the emergency department at Cramlington for Northumbria Trust. Today I'm very pleased that we've got uh, Rebecca Fraser with us who's one of our PAs who works with us in the department. Morning Becca. Morning, thank you for having me. It's all right, it's a pleasure. So uh, you work with the frailty assessment team, is that right? I do, yes. And you're a PA as well, so two things Mm. that I want to explore a bit. Firstly, tell us a bit about your role as a physician associate. How did you start in that? So I'd always had an interest in medicine okay. and studied sort of like science related subjects at school and studied psychology and after uh, graduating I sort of was still really interested in medicine and mm. um, was also interested in clinical psychology at the time and um, so I did some work as a support worker um, where I was working at Percy Headley Foundation oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, working people who had complex medical problems okay. a lot of people with cerebral palsy and I got quite interested in the medical side of that and um, mm. so I had to sort of accompany them to hospital appointments and things and became really interested in sort of more medical side of things yeah. and I was thinking again about applying for medicine and then I saw the physician associate course was starting yeah. and it just made sense to go for that really yeah, the timing and yeah. um, the PA program was starting in January and looked like a really good opportunity to get stuck straight into medicine and yeah. um, I really liked the fact that clinical placement started so quickly after beginning the course so yeah. I think it was about 16 weeks after uh, we started the course we were actually placed in the hospital and kind of had that patient interaction and that really appealed to me about the course as well so I did that as part of the pilot scheme at Manchester and I knew I sort of wanted to come back to the northeast so after qualifying I started looking for jobs up here and saw one in elderly medicine and decided to apply for that okay and yeah that was um back in 2018 I started so been a good four years now working in the frailty service and was that straight into the frailty service or was it has it been more broader you worked in other areas in the care of the elderly uh, units yeah so we cover a few different areas and um, so our team actually cover a few of the base site hospitals mm. we work at Annick, uh, Wandsbeck, Blythe uh, we also run like a um, outpatient clinic called right. elderly assessment clinic um, which is based at Wandsbeck and that runs two days a week and we also work in A&E mm. and also on Ward 9 as part of the FAS service yeah okay and are you involved in all those different areas i am yeah oh that's um, great so there must be a real nice variety in uh, your day-to-day work yeah it's really interesting so you see a lot of different types of patients i guess like different levels of condition and kind of have to adjust depending on sort of where you are in terms of like what the priorities are and i guess yeah the type of patient you're sort of dealing with Sure. And do you see much sort of continuity of the same patients or is it always different patients because you're moving around in different places? Um, It's a bit of a mix. I think we find with our patients kind of as a whole we do often see the same people sort of coming back into hospital and so in that sense I guess it's quite interesting to sort of follow up on progress and they've made like between their 
admissions and uh, kind of follow through their story really yeah. i guess we see a lot of continuity on the base site hospitals as well yeah. because patients are typically there for longer but we do see yeah the reoccurring patients quite a lot coming back into a and e yeah. so it's quite useful to have that background of having seen them previously or having spoken to a relative previously yes well. absolutely it must really help mm. and uh, obviously we're most interested in your role in the emergency department and uh Faz's input into that so for people who are perhaps new to the department or haven't had much interaction, how would you describe what FAS's role is uh, within the emergency department? So the Frailty Assessment Service, we aim to see sort of the elderly and frail patients who aren't acutely unwell. So we'll sort of look at um, sort of why they've come in, but also like the medications they're on, mm. what um, their social setup's like. We'll look at like the mobility, skin integrity, nutrition. So just provide like a kind of comprehensive like MOT if you like sure. for that patient and we also um, look at whether they need to come into hospital or whether they can mm. go home after this intervention and if they do need to come into hospital whether they need to come into NSEC with it being like an emergency hospital sure. or if they're a bit more stable um, and just need a little bit more time whether they could go to one of the base set hospitals or even one of the respite or rehab facilities sure. um, that we've got access to. Okay, and what's your specific role in that in that assessment? What do you do when you see the patients? So I typically um, will assess the patient, sort of examine them, take a history, order like investigations, mm. look at the bloods and things, and then come up with like a diagnosis. Um, and put in place a management plan. I also work quite closely with other members of the MDT, so mm. the physios and the occupational therapists, and then like the home safe for social support. Sure. So sort of liaise with all those teams just to provide that holistic care. Yeah, and that for me is one of the key parts of the frailty assessment service. It's not just one individual making a decision for that patient. There's the whole team, and you seem to have really good links with all those different uh, areas. I guess that's part of the sort of fundamentals of a good care of the elderly team. Yeah, I think we work really well together. Um, I think it's really helpful. Sometimes the physios or the OTs will actually identify patients to us mm. um, as well as us identifying oh, okay. patients to them. So I think we all sort of reading from the same page, if you like, and yeah, work really closely together. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that we've struggled with since we opened the hospital really is identifying the right sort of patients that need frailty assessment input compared to definitely need to come into hospital compared to can go home safely mm. so FAS fits in that kind of what I would see as that grey zone have you managed to sort of clarify what the ideal patient is for you or is it too difficult to do? <laughs> um, no that's a really good question so we have done a bit of work around um, typically we use the Rockwood frailty score okay. um, so in ED on the, the screens with all the patients sort of names and ages hmm. there's also like a frailty number and that ranges from one to nine so we typically see patients who are probably four and above hmm. so fours kind of vulnerable these patients typically use like a walking aid five is kind of mild frailty so these patients might need help with like housework and shopping six is um needing more support and um, maybe having problems with the stairs and needing support with activities outside seven and eight are kind of very frail and needing a lot more support with personal care uh, eight's typically the patients who are more approaching the end of the life okay um, and nine sort of terminal patients mm. so we typically see patients who are four and above do you think if you get too far to the end of that scale you know clearly if you've got someone who's palliative there's probably less that you can add in 
is it the same for the sort of people who perhaps are scoring seven or eight or would you say literally anyone above four because there may be something that you can add into to their care yeah I think I would say to always discuss patients with us um if you think that they could in any way be FAS um and you know we're always happy to have that discussion sometimes even though someone's very frail they might also be acutely unwell and more suitable for a different specialty but you know we can just have that discussion and it's always worth kind of asking our input and you know seeing if there is anything we can help with so that really intrigues me the sort of process that patients go through in the department and part of our triage is making sure we do that frailty scale Mm. and I know that at times we'll think oh it's just another form another Mm -hmm. number to churn out but from what you're saying that's really important to identify early where these people lie on that scale because it will help their process through the rest of the uh, system yeah absolutely there's various calculators that can try and like clarify if you're not sure where your patient is and or if you're not sure if the score's accurate and something that we always say is like if a patient's kind of got dementia they typically are quite frail so typically like scoring five or above Mm. but yeah we're always happy to have the conversation even if you don't want FAS to sort of take over the patient if you will even if you just want sort of slight input in terms of the medications or sort of questions about social support or things like that we can always point you in the right direction that's really helpful to know because i think there are times where if people ask me about patients i kind of think well they might be fazable because i've seemed to have made that into a word Uh, (laughs) is this patient fazable or not um but if i feel on balance they're likely to come into hospital i've kind of always thought oh well they're not suitable for FAS at all but from what you're saying you could still have some input even if we accept they're going to come in absolutely and especially with kind of the patients that we see they tend to be sort of destined towards ward six if they are coming in um and you know we're always happy to work up the patients so that when they go towards six they've kind of got a plan in place and the ward team aren't starting from scratch with them they've already sort of maybe been seen by a consultant or by one of the frailty practitioners so they're sort of hitting the ground running once they go up to the ward okay Okay, so it's not a failure from anyone's perspective if we refer someone to FAS and they end up being admitted? No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, um, I think we mainly we may concentrate on the patients that we can redirect, but we are also happy to see the ones who are sure. going on towards sex or who you just need a bit of advice for Yeah, as well. and, that, and that's clearly where I see the strength of the, the, the team, people who think, ah, oh, I think I can get this person home, but we just need to tweak a few things. Mm. Uh, you guys are brilliant at going in and sorting out the what it is, the far more complex difficult stuff that I can't do now we know in general in the NHS that the frail elderly population that is going to be the big thing that already causes a lot of pressure on the NHS and Mm. and we think that is only going to increase what are your sort of thoughts for the future about services like the frailty service over the next sort of five ten years how do you see that developing and growing I mean, I think it's changed quite a lot since I started Mm. working here. So when I first started in 2018, it was like a fixed um, unit. Mm. And now we've become sort of a mobile service. And we're also kind of becoming a bit more autonomous. We we can sort of discuss patients with consultants. And they do typically like then come and review and add their own input. But actually, we're becoming more independent with that. And sometimes the Mm. discussions are now done over the phone, for example. So I think in terms of how it could develop, just be to sort of continue with that more independent working at the moment and um, if a patient's going to a base site for example even if they're quite a straightforward base site patient or a respite placement so when mm. we're getting to howden for example they still need to be seen by a consultant so yeah. i think in order to sort of free up some of their time it would be good to sort of extend those powers to uh, yeah. <laughs> to the rest of the frailty uh, practitioners and also going forward 
I don't know. I think it'd be quite helpful to maybe look at a way to bypass any altogether and maybe work okay. closer with the community teams to try and get patients to Howden or to, to respite placements sort of direct sure. with them and maybe doing some kind of at-home assessments um, to try and keep the patient at home if possible. Yeah. Although I can understand there'd be quite a lot of logistical uh, things to work no, out absolutely. with that. <laughs> but I think patients always seem happier in their own home and mm. they seem to thrive better as long as there's, they're safe and secure, I guess. Yeah, and I think a lot of our patients really really reluctant to come into hospital mm. and then by the time they come in they're actually uh, have deconditioned quite a lot so it'd be yeah. quite good to see them sort of earlier on in that process if we could sort of see them at home yeah that's great uh, as i say i'm sure it's it's the next sort of huge area of the frailty um, service that we need to see finally is there anything that we can do to help you guys when you come into the department is there anything that is sort of on your wish list of oh this would be great if any oh. could do this as well how, how can we help you I mean, I think the A&E team are already really great at being really friendly and welcoming and making us feel like a really valued service. In terms of things that would help more, I think occasionally um, sort of, it won't be clear why the patient's being referred to FAS. Okay. So sometimes it'll just be like, oh, well, the night team had in their plan to refer to FAS, but they won't really know why um which is fine it's just it can sort of take a bit of time sometimes to sort of work out because the presenting complaint won't be obvious um so we'll be trying to work out like did they have a fall or was it a medication issue and trying to get into the head of the uh night team yeah and who made that plan and i think that can just obviously be a bit timely for us but also for the the doctor whose name's now against that patient so i think just having a idea of kind of why the patient's being referred to FAS, which most most people do to be fair also um i guess just thinking about the time you refer to FAS as well sometimes if it's quite late on the bed will have already gone green and we're trying to like get the patient to a base site and that can be quite difficult but similarly referring when it's appropriate and um for example if a patient's had a fall and they're also waiting to be seen by the orthopedics Mm -hmm. if they've got a broken hip they'll probably be going to orthopedics and not to FAS. so probably waiting until um, and that's been sort of ruled out before referring. Okay. Collateral histories are really helpful for like elderly patients. Sure. A lot of our patients won't necessarily know why they're here or what's kind of happened yeah. to bring them into hospital. And I can understand that being really difficult, maybe like if the patients come in during the night because mm. you don't want to be ringing the next of kin at like four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. But if the patient's in a care home, then actually it would be possible to get the collateral at that time. And that could be really helpful because sometimes by the time we come in in the morning, the carers will have swapped shifts. So actually the person who was on duty will no longer be on duty and they're trying to rely on notes and and it can just be a bit more difficult. So that would also be really valuable if um, you are able to get a collateral at the time kind of the patient comes in so we sort of know more about what's happened and get more sort of accurate information about that so yeah so that sounds good so getting a collateral history Mm. clarify exactly what we'd like to gain from FAS input Mm -hmm. and the time and refer to FAS as well Um, but you know we're always happy to discuss patients and review them even if you do realize quite late on you know we're still happy for you to refer it's just kind of i guess encouraging people to think early on in the process whether they might benefit 
Brilliant. Well, thank you very much uh, for telling us a bit about yourself and a bit about the fan service. That's really nice to hear about that. So one last question that I ask everyone. So if you could experience uh, anywhere in the NHS just for one day, so being a fly on the walls in a department or following someone around, where would you like to be? I think maybe um, I'm really interested in mental health, having obviously studied psychology. And I know the sort of... um, community like the community mental health teams just to shadow and just to kind of get a better understanding of how they work in the community to try and prevent patients coming into hospital okay. and what can be sort of done there and how sort of they manage that would be sure. really interesting to see yeah yeah, yeah that would be really interesting and part of um the nhs that obviously links a lot with a and e and we we mm. just don't see it. it's obviously aware of what goes on but yeah it'd be really interesting to see that Cool. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thank you for your time once again. And thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss any further episodes. 